Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning into the new Mainstream Podcast, where we explore the impact of multicultural consumers on marketing and media. I'm your host, Mario Carrasco, and the co-founder of Think Now. Today, our guest is Kristen Luck, founder of Scalehouse and Women in Research. Kristen, thanks for joining. You founded some uh, really important companies in the market research space serving as an advisor to tons of innovative companies in MR now. Um, would love to hear about what you're doing at Scalehouse um, and also kind of the work that you're doing um, at Women in Research. Yeah, thanks so for welcome. having me. Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, you know, Scalehouse was really, I think the, the brainchild of me selling my third company back in 2014. So I think, Anytime you go through a, a big life transition, particularly like the sale of a company, which is which is sort of like, I guess, the closest thing I've, I've had to raising a child and then having to go off to college. Um, three times. And, and three, three times, times now. Yeah. Three times. I've been really, really fortunate. Yeah. I've been very, very fortunate. I've, um, you know, I've had some some good business ideas. I've had some good co-founders and business partners. And uh, yeah, so I've had three successful exits. And after this last one, when we were still in the process of selling the company, I had already decided based on the, the purchaser that I wasn't going to be going on after the, after the sale concluded. And so I had about three months to kind of sit and think about what I wanted to do next. And I think I think a lot of people thought I was just going to go start another, you know, marketing technology company. But when I really took stock of what I loved doing, it really wasn't the starting up of companies that I loved. It was really the scaling and all of the the kind of inherent problems and challenges that that come with growth. And I thought, gosh, if I could just work with founders all day long to help them scale their companies and have the same kind of success that I did. And if they could learn from a lot of the really, truly horrifyingly painful mistakes that I made along the way, <laughs> then that would really just be the most fun that I could have. And so that, you know, that was how Scalehouse came to be. And um, I, and I'm just curious. So, I mean, I believe all of your companies have been in the market research space. Um, and I'm, obviously you're passionate about entrepreneurship and working with founders. Do, could you, could you... Could you have easily founded, I guess, any companies outside of market research? Like to you, is a passion just building companies regardless of what vertical they may be in? Or are you specifically passionate about market research? Well, I think I'm specifically passionate about data-driven businesses, which I which has translated, mm. you know, really nicely into market research. Um, you know, my my loves at university were statistics and journalism, which is kind of the perfect <laughs> the perfect mix of I think what um, what market research is, which is data and storytelling. Uh, for sure. I I also think for me the criteria for starting a business is that. It, a, it has to be what I think is a good idea with some really relevant white space around it. And B, it has to be an idea that I'm so passionate about that I'm willing to work every second of every day on it. Um, and I've had I've had people over the years say, you know, well, why do you think that you've kind of beat the odds and had three successful companies that you were able to exit? And you know, the truth of the matter is that I don't think that I'm any any smarter or any brighter than anyone else. I I think I literally just outwork everyone. I'm, a, I'm just a real hustler um, and I'm super gritty. So 
when things go south, I just really, I really dig in and try to make them work. So I think, I think having something that you're really passionate about and that you, that you feel, feel good at, feel confident at doing uh, is really the, the key to success. I, I'm so with you on that gritty part. I mean, like the good idea is half of it or maybe even less than half of it, right? Like just showing up and, and grinding when it, when it gets tough is I feel like so much more. Um, I mean, cause I'm, I'm sure, you know, both of us have seen being in the industry for as long as we've been like some great ideas that just, just failed, you know, it's just like la- la- lack of kind of pushing through those tough times. For sure. And, and I also think that even when you see all the success stories, you don't see all of the horrible things that happened along the way to that success. You know, I think when people look at my LinkedIn profile, all they see is like, oh, wow, she sold that company and then she started this company and sold that. And wow, look at all that success. They don't see me literally weeping at my desk at four o'clock in the morning because some, you know, something failed for like the eighth time and I'm running out of money and, you know, I got yelled at by a client or, you know, nobody sees all of, all of that. They just see the success at the end of the day, which makes it look a lot more achievable, I think, than it really is. (laughs) Yeah. And one of the things I've, you know, personally admired and and our company as well has admired you for is I think, um, you know, your women in research initiative. Um, I think, being in the space myself, you know, as a, as a, you know, Hispanic American, um, and, you know, just showing from a market research standpoint, the importance of diversity in research. Um, I really appreciate what you're doing in women in research. I want to hear kind of more about how that idea came about and also how it's evolved. Cause I feel like now you're looking at, you know, diversity more broadly outside of gender as well. So what would, would love to hear a little bit more about women in research um, for some people might know it as wire. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thanks. It's um, it's been a real labor of love. That's for sure. And I wish I could tell you that, you know, that I had this idea of turning it into this big global organization, which it's become over the last um, 12 years. But the truth of the matter is that it, it started very organically. Uh, a friend of mine that I had met in the industry had moved from San Francisco to Los Angeles. And as as tends to happen for women in the more senior levels of their career, she was working almost exclusively with men. And so she didn't have a good network of other women in the industry. And so I said, well, gosh, I know lots of women in the industry having, you know, sort of grown up in it. Uh, And so I just very spontaneously put together a little cocktail hour. And I think we had 40 women show up to the first one. And we just had, we had such a good time connecting that we decided to do a quarterly and then, from there, some of the women moved to um, London and to New York, and and that's when I think the the group as a whole really um, started to take shape. Uh, I think, uh, as I mentioned, you know, when you start out in research, which is which is predominantly female. I mean, well over fifty percent of the industry is female. Um, in those early stages, I worked almost exclusively with women. And now at the more senior or the public, you know, obviously the, the, the peak of my career, I'm working almost exclusively with, with men. Um, if you look at the Hanna Michael 50, which are the, the top largest firms in the world, less than 10% are run by women. And women just were not making it and are still not making it into the C-level positions. And I think that's a that's a, a, a 
product of a few things. You know, one, there's a saying that you can't be what you can't see. And so when women don't see other women in those positions, they feel like maybe it's not for them. Uh, and I think also be having an understanding of what you need to do to get into the C-level positions and providing mentoring opportunities. And so WIRE's evolved over the years. We've got over 8,000 women now involved globally. You know, we have a one-to-one -one mentoring program where women are mentored not only by senior level women, but also senior level men. Um, I think that to your point, we've really broadened in the last couple of years, our definition of diversity and inclusion. So we're no longer just looking at gender, but we're also looking at ethnicity, sexual identity, um, bodied or, you know, non-able-bodied. Um, so it, it, it kind of runs the gamut. We're not, we're not just, just focused on gen gender. And that's probably why we tend to use our acronym WIRE a bit more than we, than we do women in research. And I, what, one of the um, things I, I'd be I'm curious about um, is like how do we, as an industry, fare in comparison to other industries like tech? I mean, I know diversity, especially especially from a gender perspective, but also from an ethnicity perspective. Um, I, actually, I actually haven't seen a diversity report for market research, but I mean, how, how do we? Are there any numbers out there anecdotally given you yeah, have well, your hands in quite a bit of industries? I mean, how do we fare? And when I say we, I guess the market research industry when it comes to diversity com yeah. in comparison to other industries. We actually do have quite a bit of data, although it's not in comparison to other industries, you could take it and do that comparison. So we've been really fortunate to have partnered with Lieberman Research Worldwide over the last 10 years, and they've run two different studies for us that show the progress of women in the industry. And um, you know, we're running, like I said, we're running every five years. So we ran it 10 years ago and we ran it just a couple of years ago again. And, uh, you know, unfortunately the, the pace that we're making in progress is pretty glacial, which I, which is not unusual to, to market research. I mean, by the time we reach wage parity in the research space, I'll be dead. That's the sad truth. So mm. we still have a lot of work to do. I think that, I think the the, the messaging that's most impactful for business leaders now is having an understanding that diversity and inclusion actually has a positive impact on business performance. And there was a, a really interesting article uh, that came out about Goldman Sachs and, and their position on companies that they're going to invest in and support moving forward. And they said specifically that they were looking for diverse founders, uh, diverse executive teams and boards and that the reason they were doing that wasn't because it was the right thing to do, but because the financial performance of those companies were significantly better. And I think unfortunately that's, you know, that's, that's what we're really trying to impart on people now, which is that, hey, it's, diversity inclusion isn't just something you do because it's the right thing to do. You also do it because it does have an impact on the financial performance of the company in a positive way. A hundred percent, yeah, and and that's that to me is just such an important messaging, right? As as entrepreneurs and also as as a market research company advising other companies, it's um, it not only from a B two B perspective, but from a consumer perspective, right? Like, I, I feel like diversity is even exponentially more important in market research because we are informing decisions, right? And if there aren't women at the table, people of different ethnicities, 
not only in the executive positions, but also people actually putting together the research. There's so much kind of unconscious bias that goes into creating surveys, analyzing data that we impact. Our impact goes far beyond market research, right? It goes the data that we're consuming and decisions being made. For sure. And, and everyone suffers from unconscious bias. I, it's funny because I was having a conversation with a, a gentleman just a few days ago and he was like, oh, I don't, you know, I, I don't have any bias. I, you know, I don't see gender. And I was like, that's just so ridiculous because even I'm, <laughs> even I'm biased. Like we all are, like we are inherently yep. surround ourselves with people that are most like ourselves. And we, you know, we do have these preconceived notions, even if we don't like them about, about other people around us. And so everyone has it. Uh, and I think the more honest that we can be about that and, and the more we can realize that we, we benefit from having different perspectives at the table, that it's not, it's not a threat. It, it really helps evolve um, products and services. And I think it leads to better thinking and better research. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, and, um, and I'm curious, you know, given, um, now you're an advisor, um, you're, you're, you're helping companies scale investing. I mean, how important is diversity or how are you looking at diversity when choosing what companies to work with, to advise? I mean, how, how, how do you tackle that? I guess mixing the women in research and then your role at, at scale house. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, I you know I really like working with female founders because I I have a you know unique perspective on what it takes to get business done as a woman, and it's infinitely more challenging to get funding and to understand how to scale. And I think also women haven't traditionally understood what the opportunities are for scaling and selling a business. I was I was at a networking event in Amsterdam um, a few years ago, and I was talking to a, a female founder who had you know had a male co-founder, and uh, I was talking to her and. I was talking about the business and I said, well, what ultimately is your exit strategy? And she just kind of looked at me very quizzically. And I, I said, you know, like, what's the end game for the business? Are you planning on selling it? And she literally stopped and looked at me, Mario. And she said, you mean I can sell this thing? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, Hey, listen, not everybody, you know, I think there is a mentality in the U S that you start a business, you scale and sell it. And that's not for everyone. I think there's a difference between yeah. growth companies and lifestyle companies, and there's nothing wrong with building a business that you want to work in indefinitely and hand down to your children. I mean, people did it for many, many years uh, before this whole startup craze came to be. Uh, but I, I do think that, yeah, there's, you know, for female founders, I think there's, there's a unique set of challenges. Uh, I think lots of times when I see companies that are not, uh, innovating or they're in a turnaround situation or, you know, they're, they're struggling to grow. I do for sure look at what, what the makeup of their executive team looks like and also how the, how the CEO manages and runs the company. And I will say, I, I, you know, I do give a little pause when I get contacted by a company and the entire executive team are, are white males. And it's not that I would turn away that business, but gosh, it makes me think, Ugh, how are they going to, you know, how are they really going to be competitive in the future? And are they going to be open to, uh, to other ideas coming in? I mean, I think the good news is usually by the time people contact me, they're pretty, they're pretty desperate for growth. Yeah, no. And, and it's inter interesting, your, your story about, you know, the woman that didn't know about an exit. I think other groups, um, you know, we are, are, 
have those same issues, right? I mean, as a founder myself, um, you know, in Latino culture, not necessarily talking about money, not, right. you know, it, like I didn't necessarily know that was possible. I mean, and, and um, kind of in my professional journey, talking to you, looking at what you've done, just being exposed to that has really helped me think um, bigger. So it's, it's really great what you're doing um, in terms of getting the word out there in terms of what's possible. Um, so, yeah, um, I yeah, I mean, we're, a lot of that is oh, sorry, education. go ahead. Yeah. I was just gonna say, I think a lot of that is an education and about sharing experiences. And that's why I try to be as open as possible with people about what my experiences have been and how I funded my companies and what my exits look like and, you know, how, how I did it, because I do think having that transparency, particularly for, for, for women or for, um, you know, folks that haven't traditionally founded companies, you know, whether it's because of ethnicity or, or some other reason, I, I do, you know, I do think it's important to have those conversations. And I, I was just going to tell you, I, there was a podcast, I think it was for, from how I built this, which is one of my favorite podcasts, but um, they were, Same. Yeah. They, oh, I just love that podcast, but they were interviewing Sarah Blakely, who was the woman that started Spanx. I don't know if you listened to that oh, one. Yeah. But she, yeah, that, yeah, she built a billion dollar best company. Ones. Yeah, she built a billion dollar company and they, he was asking her like, cause she owns a hundred, well, at that point she did own a hundred percent of it. And somebody, I think he asked her like, well, why didn't you take on any money? And she said, I, God, I didn't even know it was possible, you know? <laughs> and yeah. it's like, I wish I had, because it would have been a lot easier. Um, and so I think that access to capital is, is super important. And it's also one of the reasons why, um, by, why last year I went and actually got my investment banking license. So that I would have an opportunity to help women and and folks that might not necessarily have that that resource, um, you know, to gain access not only to capital but also to have an experience, you know, uh, selling their company or going through some sort of M and A event, you know, being shepherded by somebody that A has been through it themselves, but B might have a different perspective than um, a bunch of old white male bankers. Yeah, and, and I mean, how do how do you feel about um, kind of these 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 initiatives or these laws like California not having um, you know the, having penalties for having all male boards? I mean, do you, do you think that's a a step in the in the right direction? I do actually, because I don't think that that change will come otherwise. Because there's no, yeah. you know, I I wish that everybody would take the take the road that Goldman Sachs has, which is, hey, we've done the research and we 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 know that diverse teams provide better performance uh, and better financial performance. But I don't think most people, most people do. And there's not enough incentive for change. And if you understand how the traditional board system works, you know, there's very, very little opportunity for women and minorities to, to get on boards because it's totally a referral system. Um, all of the board seats that I sit on now I've gotten because a, a white male has referred me, uh, and I like to pay it forward by only referring non-white males <laughs> for boards now. Uh, so it, it, traditionally it, it has been a, you know, a, a boys club primarily. And, and it was interesting. I, I was meeting with, um, when, you know, when I had exited Decipher, my last company and was starting my consulting practice. I sat down with a gentleman who served on a bunch of boards, including some public boards, and asked him, I said, I don't understand how this all works. How do I, can you give me some tips for getting on a board seat? And he said, 
oh, well, it's all about who you know. That's it. And if you don't know the right people, uh, you're not getting on a board. And that's been that's been my experience. I've been very fortunate to get referred for a couple boards, and I I joined my first public board last year, um, which I was super excited about. So from my perspective, I'm 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 all for it. Yeah, same. And, and, yeah, and you were you know you're talking about you know wage parity, not you know gender wage parity, not happening with our lifetimes. It's like. In order to speed that up, I, we, you know, we need initiatives like that. We do, yeah, we do. Plain and simple, because it, it just won't happen. But you know, there, and and it's it's interesting. It, it's not that I think men inherently like. I don't think white males inherently have it out for minorities and women, but I do think that it it does mean fewer opportunities for them. And I was having this really interesting conversation with Eric Salama, who's the now former CEO of Cantar and who also served on the board of women in research for a few years. Uh, and he and I were having coffee in London and I had said to him, or somehow we got in the subject of the diversity initiatives going on at Cantar. And he had said that, yeah, we, I've had some, some men come in and say, you know, there's just not as many opportunities for me anymore at Cantar. And I don't feel like there's a place for me here. And Eric said something that I thought was was really powerful, which is that when you're used to being treated differently, when you're used to getting extra benefits or special treatment, equality feels like um, discrimination. And and I think that that you know that's why it's so important that there are these initiatives because when people feel discriminated against, they immediately push back on things. Um, and and that's and, that, and that's like psychology 101 right like yeah. even if, if it just feels like something's being taken away from you yeah. it, it it has like this huge impact um but you know there's the flip side right like never having that too it's like people it, it, if you haven't been in that position it's difficult to kind of put yourself in someone else's shoes um yeah well be, before um we're, we're running up on our time here i mean if people want to get connected with um, what you're doing in women in research how do how do you how do you get involved um, um, and even you know and, and and males I love that yes, you're yes. you know pulling in men in terms of the mentorship opportunities and any other opportunities to get involved yeah I mean we really encourage men to come to our events we have male mentors we have men that sit on our board we have men that serve on office hours which are is our informal mentoring program uh, and it's funny because a lot of, I think a lot of folks kind of started questioning me when we first started really encouraging men to participate. And even we had some women that were unhappy seeing men at our events, but my point ha has been, and always will be that you cannot talk about diversity and inclusion in an all female or all, you know, non-white male bubble. Those men have to be involved in those conversations. Otherwise we're never going to get anywhere because a bunch of women sitting around talking to each other about how we need, you know, equality, gender equality is not getting us anywhere. So if you want to get involved with WIRE, it's totally free. We're completely reliant on corporate donors. All you have to do is go to our website, which is womeninresearch.org and register and you'll get all of our event and um, online programming information. It's totally free. Awesome. And I'm, I'm a big fan of your scale house content, your, your social media content. If people want to connect with you on, on social media, you want to share your, your handles. 
Sure. Yeah. Well, so we, to your point, we do, um, we do a, a growth strategy blog that comes out once a month. Uh, and fortunately I was a journalism major. So I write that, that thing myself every month. People, people keep stopping me and saying like, who writes your content? And I, I write it every month. Um, so it is actually written by humans. Uh, it's a great growth blog. If you're interested in growth strategy or, um, things related to organizational development, product development, anything related to growth. Um, you can go to our website at scalehouse.consulting and you can sign up for our blog there. Uh, or you can also connect with Scalehouse on uh, LinkedIn and also on Twitter. I'm everywhere. Awesome. Thanks again, Kristen. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks to everyone listening in. To get more multicultural insights, Check us out at thinknow.com and follow us on social media. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform.